Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. It's a bit of a different format of show today as we experiment with putting some shows together during the week as it's easier to get people to talk to us during office hours and it means we can have the odd Sunday evening off as well. Most shows are going to stay recorded live on the stream, such as race reviews and panel shows. We absolutely love the energy the live chat give us, so we won't be abandoning that. But I think um, putting the odd show together like this gives us options for special guests and specialist guests as well, such as a journalist who wrote a particular story and maybe the author of an interesting blog we saw, um, as well as short segments brought to us by Missed Apex regulars, such as a driving masterclass. Brad could drop in for 20 minutes in the week, or we could finally get that two-stroke special from Kyle Power. Not my responsibility. That's all on Kyle. Um, But we do find that most people are free on a weekday uh, with office hours, certainly more than they are on a Sunday evening. I guess it's easier to bunk off when you're working from home than it is to to get a pass from the family for a Sunday night. So Matt and I, uh, today, we are going to be bringing you interviews with um, Race Car Engineers Deputy Editor Stuart Mitchell as we talk power units to start the show off. And then we're going to have um, a listener feedback section with some of your feedback. And we will end the show talking to Tony Cohen-Brown, who has made some waves on TikTok, answering basic F1 questions from new F1 fans. But you'd be surprised how many things you thought you knew that maybe weren't quite right. Questions that seem obvious until you actually try to answer them. Um, But first, let's catch up with the interview with Stuart Mitchell. We kicked off by asking Stuart to describe what Race Car Engineering Magazine is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Race Car Engineering Magazine pretty much does what it says on the cover. It describes and gets into the detail of race car engineering from 
everything from you know aero to tires to suspension to power units and everything in between. And and your specialism within that um, and your background is in power units. But I think one of the key places to start, Matt, um, and and tell me if I'm ruining your plan here, is about Mercedes domination. Given that you know they've just won their seventh world title as a team, and a lot of that people put down to the power unit. Well, yeah, the power unit has been given the place of prominence for Mercedes advantage, which is. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly how true that is. Maybe that's something we can find out today. But what better place to start than at the very beginning, the genesis of the Mercedes power unit? How did it come to be such a dominant factor and not just a dominant factor, but so much better than the competitors when they first turned up in 2014? I mean, I think there's probably a pretty interesting tale behind that. Yes, absolutely. There is. And, and one of the things that's quite interesting to note is the evolution of the regulations. Yeah, these these regulations, the changes to the regulations actually started way, way, way back in the early 2000s or say to the mid 2000s when people started discussing what was going to happen after Mm. the V8s were introduced. So essentially, as soon as one set of regulations is introduced, the the thoughts start going on to the next one. So after the V10s, it was the V8s. And then from the as soon as the V8s were introduced, it was thoughts started to go ahead about what happens next. I don't know if you guys remember, but um, the global race engine started to come onto the platform where people were discussing four-cylinder turbo engines. And that's when uh, the, the likes of Mercedes started to pop up and uh, put their two cents in about what was going to happen next. <laughs> it was a bit of a shock when it was V6s and also the very the low CC count as well. And you know, Lewis mm-hmm. Hamilton came on, on one of the interviews early in 2014 and said, I'm pretty sure my first car had more you know, engine capacity than that. My yes, current yeah. car has a bigger <laughs> displacement than that, quite frankly. Um, but is it is it really true? Because um, I had long heard that it was Renault that had pushed for uh, for an I four, um, uh, an inline four cylinder engine with a turbo. Uh, is that actually what happened, or do you have any more of the behind the scenes on that? There was a few people who wanted inline four turbocharged engines, specifically a two liter inline four turbo engine. Um, and this was the invention. It sort of came about in 2009 when the global race engine uh, came about. And that was a four-cylinder turbo engine. Now, one set of regulations was for a 1.6-liter engine uh, inline four turbo. And the other was for a two-liter engine for some of the upper echelons. And that included Le Mans Formula One. And the other echelons that were going to use the 1600 included WRC, which carried that over, and included World Touring Car, which carried that over as well. So just remind us and me, like when you're talking about global engine, you're talking about a basic engine platform that could be shared across all the top series uh, that the FIA is responsible oh, for? Right. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it could be branded. So it, it could be manufactured by only a handful of people. Um, and then it could be branded as associated with one company or another, um, or they could take the regulations and build it themselves. So that was the that was the idea um, that it was just going to work in all different classes. And you can wind up an inline four two liter engine um, to you know some stupid numbers if you really want to. Um, the likes of uh, not DTM the uh, Super GT class out in Japan have done so with their i four and now DTM more recently. Uh, joining in with that uh, that platform. Let me risk uh, looking stupid here. I, I know it's never happened on Missed Apex podcast before, uh, but what <laughs> I4 is inline four rather than 
the the V sixes that we've got now, where the pistons are coming in at a V, the cylinders are coming in at a V. What what is the inherent difference between a, a V shaped engine formation and an inline? Well, the reason why you want to go with a V shaped formation in the likes of Formula One is because of the stiffness. So the V shape and therefore the base of it being connected with the the bottom of the crankcase, and then the two outer edges being able to support uh, being mounted to the back of the chassis means that it's a lot stiffer. And that stiffness means that you can uh, obviously put more drive through it um, and it can handle the chassis loads as it's loaded. So uh, if I'm understanding what you're saying is that the engine is a stressed member of the suspension in a Formula One car. And it would be harder for it to to be as stiff if you were running an inline engine versus a V-shaped engine? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So if you imagine the outer diameter, um, the maximum outer diameter of the inline four versus the V6, um, then you can obviously see that the, the, the tension, the load across the distance is, is going to be distributed over a wider wider space. So that's why the stiffness is there. Hmm. Which naturally begs the question, well, then what would the advantages of an inline engine be versus a V-shaped engine uh, in this particular application? For the likes of Formula One, it was simplicity, um, trying to make everything a little bit simpler. Um, and for the same reasons that all classes of motorsport have been struggling, cost. So they went from, so I'm trying to get through to the evolution of thinking at that time for these regulations. Mm -hmm. They went from, hey, we can have this super uh, uh, cost efficient, simple, universal uh, four, I'm I'm assuming hybrid as well, but inline four with uh, an MGU and 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 all the electrical gubbins, embarrassing Mm -hmm. myself trying to mention all the parts there. So they went from that and then they did a complete 180 and they went, no, let's make bespoke expensive V6s uh, that will prohibit basically any manufacturer jumping in. Like That's quite a turnaround. We were on a knife edge there. Yeah, absolutely. And it was pretty surprising for everyone. So by the time the regulations were sorted out around 2012, um, and then the final bits and bobs started to come into play before they printed the final 2014 rule set, um, it was very odd. It was very odd to have that massive jump from that two-liter i4 turbo platform because it made so much sense. And having that structure in place for the two liter meant that you could then, as a manufacturer, take that global race engine into other platforms and just wind it up and wind it down. Obviously use cheaper materials, even use off the shelf materials um, and blocks and things like that um, to go racing in other classes. So we went from what would have been a formula that where engines really didn't influence things as much because they would be mandated by the sport we ended up finding ourselves in an era of Formula One that I think will forever be defined as an engine formula. Uh, you know, so from a journalist point of view, you must have, that must have been really significant to be in the middle of. It is, uh, and, and it did make a big difference. But one thing to note that about these regulations is that the V6 part, sort of the, that block and, and piston set and crank train, isn't really the most difficult piece about Formula One now. So the fact that it went through these sort of different changes and people started thinking about different engine platforms, that isn't the most difficult piece. It was pretty straightforward uh, when you think about the physics and bolting engine to the back of a tub and having the, the, then the gearbox 
behind that and then the whole rear suspension hanging off of that um that a v made more sense because it's mm. stiffer but um in principle that that v6 element of the regulations isn't the difficult piece no matt well you're you're sort of uh jumping right to the biggest question i wanted to ask of all the bits on the current power unit to me the mguh is still a bit of the most mysterious i mean i think everybody knows the mguk uh kinetic is is if i'm understanding right is recovered during either a liftoff phase or a braking phase and it generates just like a toyota prius for example it just generates energy for the battery but how exactly does the mguh work i mean i know when we first saw it we're like oh it recovers thermal energy from the exhaust that's not really what's going on how does it work and why is it the most expensive and troublesome thing that formula one has ever encountered okay that's a good question but just remember that i'm also in the room so Explain it as if, you know, a small child has to keep up with this. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> principally, all of the Prius drivers out there would be very happy to hear what you've just said about their car operating in exactly the same way as a Formula One car does. But in principle, the MGUH does not recover heat as such. It recovers the energy that is in the exhaust gas stream that turns a turbine that then spins the, the rotor inside an electrical unit, so a motor generator unit. That's how you get the energy back. So it's a spinning shaft, which the turbine is connected to. And of course, on the other side, the compressor is connected to. Okay, so this is my confusion. Um, We have a turbocharger that is already in the exhaust stream of the engine. Yes. No? Yes, the the turbine side is in the exhaust stream. And is the MGUH simply recovering energy from the shaft of that already existing turbine? Or is there a secondary one somewhere further along that spins separately to recover that energy? No, it's just the single turbine that you're allowed in the regulations. So on the exhaust stream, you've got the exhaust gas coming in and turning the turbine. Then in the middle, and then after that, you've got a a shaft which is connected to the motor generator unit. And then on the other side, you've got the compressor unit, which is on the front of the engines. Good. We all followed that. No further questions and no quizzes. <laughs> oh, let's uh, let's get back to um, Mercedes then briefly, because we set ourselves up uh, for this 2013-2014 crossover period. Now, the new engines, the new hybrid engines came in in 2014. Why did Why were Mercedes able to get such a jump? Because... They really they took a team, for example, like Williams, who subsequently, you know, it turned out they really weren't on top of their aero, but they were able to have a car that was essentially 14 rocket launches per lap uh, and just let the aero get out of the way. How did Mercedes have that advantage so massively and so quickly? And then and they've more or less sustained some advantage throughout the whole era. It primarily comes down to the structure of the team rather than them specifically having just one ticket that nobody else did. It's not like they suddenly had one answer that nobody else knew. I mean, there were some elements of that that we can get onto if you want to, but the the principal parts are that they had this structure of a team which had an engine platform, uh, engine units, we say, um, in Brooksworth, and then they were setting up the the chassis in uh, the chassis bits in, in Brackley. And of course, Brackley, 
used to be VAR and then it used to be uh, a bunch of other teams. I mean, I can't even remember all the history because they've been chopping and changing all sorts. <laughs> uh, and then famously, of course, in 2010, Mercedes bought the, the remains of the Braun team, which of course was Honda before that. So that's how that ended up being what it is. But they had no specific ticket. They had no, um, you know, Willy Wonka's golden ticket. That meant that they were ahead of the rest. It's really how they structured the team once they got going. Okay, so I've bored people at length with my theories on how uh, Mercedes have, have been just better at development than other teams. It strikes me very much on very little evidence, it has to be said, but from the outside, um, that they seem to operate very much like an engineering firm. And, you know, there's a set of requirements that come from the top and go down. So this plan is not really made by an engineer. There might be an overall strategy guy. They split into departments and they say, right, Derek, your job is uh, make sure your airflow there doesn't interfere with the rear wing. The other Derek, your job is to make sure that the, the fuels are great. You know, the guy who's making those decisions isn't the guy with the technical vision. Whereas with Red Bull, you've got Adrian Newey with his crayon and he's like sketches it all out and says, right, no, guys, now you, you build that, you make that happen. So how is, how's my amateur assessment of how Mercedes approach things? It, it's, it's there or thereabouts that they, they have that, that structure in place where it is a top-down kind of solution ultimately, um, but they have what they call the vehicle performance group at the very top, which is the most senior engineers, and they analyze everything um, in, in the greatest detail. And then they have sub-teams underneath them that work on specific areas of the car to improve the performance in those specific areas. So with that sort of Christmas tree shape to their structure, yeah. it means that they, they can move things and make those leaps in, in various different areas without toppling the whole thing over and without one team just running off with their one ideas uh, whilst another gets left behind or messes up all the others, um, yeah, you know, their, their, their designs and so on. And and how different is that to sort of what you might call, I mean, I don't know if there even is a standard Formula One team practice because everything else about the sport is, is kind of bespoke anyway. But but how different was that structure and and how valuable has it been to Mercedes, uh, say, relative to, I don't know, Red Bull or Ferrari, their immediate competitors? Um, I couldn't tell you exactly what a, a standard structure would look like. They're all very, very different. I mean, Williams, for example, most recently have been speaking about how they're a family team and the structure that they have is to monetize some of the things that they develop within Formula One by using the Williams Advanced Engineering Group. Um, and they've got to work in harmony. So it's almost as if there's a bit of conversation about whether or not they can do some things if they're not going to then be able to benefit from them um, in another sector or, or selling that technology elsewhere. Um, whereas Mercedes' stru Mercedes structure is Mercedes Grand Prix Limited. It's mm. a business solely, solely responsible for making race cars go fast round tracks. Um, you know, Renault, on the other hand, is basically owned by the French people. So it's very difficult to say what is a standard structure, um, but the Mercedes you know, solution seems to be the most effective in this current era. Okay, so we've, we've covered the, the working practices and the way they worked. And then you said they didn't have like some big advantage. And then I saw your eyes work and you said, oh, maybe they did. Uh, what Did they have some kind of like thing, like a magical uh, crank made of gold and fleece? 
<laughs> they didn't have anything in, in particular in that area, but because they were working on everything at the same time, right. they didn't trip over stuff when they arrived at it, if you know what I mean. If you work in a linear fashion in Formula One, you're going to hit something. And then once you hit it, you can't go any further. You've then got to come back and then come back and then figure out how which part of those steps then broke the chain. Whereas if you're working in various different areas mm. and they're all building up together, you tend not to trip over too much because everything that you trip over, you can just go one step back and it's not so detrimental. And so with that Christmas tree shape, uh, they've, they've demanded, say, 20 points of downforce. I don't know whether 20 is high or low, but 20 points of downforce it's a lot. In, in the floor, right? And, you know, Derek's team, he's got three different Derek's working on three different solutions all coming up together. So if the, the, the Derek solution they pick is, is wrong, they can go down, down to the rest of the team and pull things in without starting again. Um, and of course, they've yeah. had the budget and the sheer force of staff uh, to be able to do that, which is perhaps, Matt, uh, an advantage that may bleed away with the cost cap. Well, it may bleed away, but uh, since we're talking about how uh, about the uniqueness and the efficacy of Mercedes structure, uh, could I just go ahead and ask, because it, it tends to come up a lot in conversation, Mercedes is classes of work steam, as is Red Bull and Ferrari and Renault, I guess, how much of an advantage is it? Like, I, I'm sure you can't put an actual number on it, but you could just go like, it's a big honking advantage and we would get the general idea. Like from, from your point of view, from a technical point of view, how much of an advantage is it really for these teams to be able to work together uh, versus just simply being a customer and saying, this is the basic shape of the power unit you get, go design your car. Yeah, certainly. Well, I mean, principally, the numbers is one huge element. Um, I think, I don't know if you guys, um, uh, which uh, which channel you guys log in to watch F1, but um, uh, there was certainly, there was a comment uh, during the season, uh, which was that Haas, uh, for example, are so small that Mercedes have more people on holiday at any <laughs> one time than Haas has oh, in man. its complete That's team. funny. I didn't know he didn't so, catch that. So, so to put yeah. that into perspective, that gives you an idea of who's, who, who can be working on X number of things at any one time. So that sheer force of people is one element. Um, the other element of being a works team is that they can actually pull different strings within the Daimler group that a lot of people don't necessarily think about. And Daimler is a big company. So as much as it might be, um, I can't remember what the figures are, but Nero's makes no difference, 800 people in the Mercedes Grand Prix limited business. Above that, there are all of the partners to that team, all of the technical partners, so all the companies that they outsource their additive manufacturing to. Um, sometimes they'll outsource some, some manufacturing of, of specific components, whether it's CNC manufacturing or uh, even design of some elements, um, and they'll buy in some of those elements as well. But also the Daimler group, which is enormous. So when they say to Daimler, right, this is worth X, Y, and Z in marketing, Daimler go, all right, you have my attention. What do you need? So then suddenly you've got the entire Daimler group behind you. That's enormous. And that's really where the major, major difference between a works team and a customer team is, because a customer team only has whoever comes in through the doors um, to actually do what they can do. Of course, they have the outsourcing as well for some components, but not a huge amount. Uh, look, we're, we're running uh, low on time today, uh, but please tell me that you and Race Car Engineering will, will come and visit us for a, a longer form power unit show at some point. Yes, absolutely. We didn't even really get onto the power units all that much. 
Um, there's a hell of a lot more to speak about there. And uh, like I said, the bits that we did talk about aren't the tough parts. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Matt, sure don't panic. I can see Matt panicking. We, he'll come back. We, we haven't offended him. We can get Stuart Mitchell back at some point. Well, yes, be- indeed. Be- before you go, at least tell us what you think the tough parts are so we have something <laughs> to be excited about for the next show. Well, I can tell you one of the advantages that Mercedes have had in the power unit um, department is the ability to keep the MGUK on longer than a lot of the other manufacturers. Um, the MGUK output uh. is capped, but the amount of time that you can deploy it really depends on your hardware and software in that electrical powertrain. And what that means is keeping things cool and stopping them from derating um, is really the difficult part. And that's where some of the other teams have had to cut short the, uh, the length of time that they deploy for um, because they don't have it. Right. So uh, I know, for example, in Formula E, that the cooling was often a challenge for the region early on and led to specific rules about how much you were allowed to do and capped overall outputs. So am I understanding that it's a it's potentially a software and or a cooling solution that Mercedes has that other teams don't that allow them this greater access to um, more MGUK deployment in terms of time overlap? Yes, that's right. So is it going to be a combination of a couple of things? One is the the way that they set up their battery itself. Um, so the number of cells that they've got in different modules, um, how they control individual cells, how they control modules, how they control the overall pack. And that's con- basically underneath the umbrella of battery management system. Um, then with that information, the accuracy with which they can keep it within a temperature window. Uh, so then the cooling solution comes into play. And then monitoring all of that comes into software. Uh, and then, of course, the actual power they can get out depends on the cells themselves. So it's a combination. Ah, okay. That got very technical, Matt. I got lost. Any follow-up from you? Uh, well, yeah, I have about three hours of follow-up on that, <laughs> on that response. But um, I'm thinking we may not have time for that today. Okay, well, look, this is one of the key questions. It was actually the top of my list of questions uh, to ask you, Stuart, was, look, we've seen this Mercedes domination happened since 2014. It's happened. Seven world titles. Next year, looks like it might be a similar picture. You know, that's down to COVID. That's no one's fault. They extended the regulations out. Can Mercedes engine advantage be overturned? Or will we ever get to a point where that engine advantage isn't such a big advantage? Like like the olden days, where, yeah, you could have a better engine, but it wasn't like the dominating factor, maybe. Unfortunately, with the regulations set as they are, the, the, the efficiency of the power unit, which includes the electrical side as well, um, is, is really, really, really important to lap time um, because you're not only deploying energy like you were in the past when you were just burning air and fuel, but you're also recovering it back and then you're using it where it's most necessary and then you're recovering it where it's not most necessary. So really and truly understanding power management is, is, is one of the major, major tickets. And even when you see the likes of Mercedes being, uh, being sort of pestered sometimes by the Red Bull, um, the Red Bull can only do that for so long. And then suddenly you see that it starts to tail off again. So it's not that Max Verstappen isn't a better driver or whatever, whatever, you know, that's, that's not the case at all. It's, it's that his car can do what it can do for so long, and then Mercedes can do it for a bit longer. So the answer is no, uh, as far as power units <laughs> are concerned. It's not going to change next year. I'll just quick follow up on that from me, Matt, is that like, you, you know, you see 
the advantage that Sergio Perez had holding off both of the Red Bulls at the Turkish Grand Prix. Yes, they were able to harass the racing points for a little while, but ultimately both fell away, one more spectacularly than the other. <laughs> but that's that kind of inherent advantage that, you know, that the, the Mercedes-powered cars seem to have. Yeah, absolutely. But on an, on an outright flying lap, there's not a huge amount of difference in it. Um, we're, we looked at it, we've spoken to all of the teams and we've got a nominal output of around 1,000 horsepower and the delta between the best and the worst being only about 25 horsepower, which right. is not a huge amount difference so, between so- the best and the worst. So when you think about it on one lap performance, they can all do it. They can all hit that target. Of course, aero comes into play and then you know vehicle dynamics comes into play. But mm. on paper, the power unit wise, they could all be there or thereabouts, but they can't all keep it up for that long. Matt, I've genuinely learned something there. Like I, I just assumed that the Mercedes had more horsepower. No, it's interesting to hear that that they are the power units are that close in single lap output. And I guess before we go, is it then a terrifying thing, given that so much of it is now coming down to battery management and energy deployment over a longer course of time? that uh, Mercedes Formula E team is now actually relocating to Brackley. Does that suggest they might be borrowing software solutions from the Formula E team to improve even more over what they've got? It's Formula E and Formula One are the same in one respect, which is they're both energy limited formulas because Formula E, of course, has a full battery Mm. pack and you have, I, I believe it's 52 kilowatt hours of energy to use over the course of the race. Mercedes, uh, Mercedes, all Formula One teams have 106 kilograms of fuel on board um, and whatever they can recover from that over the course of the race. So they're both energy limited formulas. They're very different in the way that the development strategy goes. In Formula E, you can't do anything about the battery. You also can't do anything about the battery cooling. All you can do is your own software to manage the response from the battery. Whereas in Formula One, you have control of everything. And that isn't to say that the combustion engine is completely dead in terms of development in Formula One. There's still loads of energy being put into that, loads of resource being put into that to get above and beyond that hallowed 50% thermal efficiency, which Mercedes have, uh, you know, celebrated. But there's still more to be had there. But the way that you engineer those two power units um, from the driveline side of things in Formula E and then the whole unit in Formula One is very, very different. But there will be some talk. And the more heads, you know, going at one problem, the better. Simple as that, really. Uh, I'm delighted that, uh, Matt, you brought Formula E into it, of course, in the news headlines in the UK, which some of our American listeners and beyond might be unaware of, um, is that by 2030, we will have no more sales of petrol or diesel cars in the UK. So all new cars being sold presumably will be electric. I'm I'm guessing electric over hydrogen. Um, But given that F1 is primarily based around uk teams or a lot around uk teams if uh, if f1 wants to keep relevant and i feel like it does want to be road relevant this whole all electric thing um i mean that has accelerated that debate hasn't it and that's going to have an effect on future engines as well certainly but it's it's a very political conversation when you mm. talk about the future of automobile powertrain um, because, of course, at the point of sale, electric vehicles are, have zero emission. Um, but what needs to be worked on is the, 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 the production side. So the manufacturing still has a long way to go. 
before it's anywhere, you know, remotely close to what's known as sustainable or what's considered to be sustainable. So these vehicles at the point of sale, yes, they won't uh, pollute yeah. and you won't suffocate if you're standing near one. But um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, there's some mm. benefits to be had from, from the likes of Formula One, but certainly it's, uh, I think the whole roadmap of electric vehicles will change in the near future. I think if we resurface all the tracks with the same kind of tarmac that they used for the Turkish Grand Prix, we could power all electric vehicle production with spinning Formula One cars. There you go. I've solved (laughs) it. I've solved it all. Uh, Stuart Mitchell, Deputy Editor of Race Car Engineering Magazine. Please tell us where we should go to, to find out more from you, to buy your magazine and the other two publications involved with with you guys as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, uh, up-to-date information on various technical topics can be found at racecar-engineering.com. Of course, from there, you'll be able to pick up the magazine and buy it um, and uh, go to the shop to get your subscriptions. Um, Also, keep on board uh, your Twitter feed, racecar, at Mm racecarengineer. And also uh, check out our other publications coming out soon, which will be Historic Engineering. Uh, and we've also got an anatomy of a race car, which can be published oh. just before Christmas. When that historic engineering magazine comes out, you've got to come back here uh, and tell us all about it and tease that a bit for us as well. Um, Stuart Mitchell, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fantastic interview there with Stuart Mitchell. Go and check out Race Car Engineering Magazine. Uh, we've got an interview with Tony Cohen-Brown coming up next, but I wanted to address something that I've been neglecting for some time, which is listener feedback and we do get mail all the time and I I tend to respond to it all personally but I've never put aside time in the show to to say oh give you a shout out or talk about some of the the topics 
that have come up on those um, those messages. So in future, me and Matt will sit with some of the emails and we'll use those as topic discussions in dedicated feedback sections like this when we've got interviews pre-recorded. Uh, but just on this occasion, I want to give a shout out to a few people who wrote lengthy emails. Not going to read all of them. Don't worry. Um, but it's lovely that people take the time. And just know that if you've emailed me, I've definitely read it. Now I'm going to get better at acknowledging acknowledging that as part of the show as well. So Dieter from Adelaide says, Hi Spanners, um, I've been listening to your podcast for just over a year and I look forward to listening to you guys every Monday. That's fantastic. You've built up a wonderful community and remained independent, allowing yourself freedom to release good content. Keep up the good work, mate, um, says Dieter. Uh, yes, being independent actually is a, is a real thing <laughs> because... Whilst we are grateful to our patrons, we're not obliged to them uh, for any particular kind of content. I think our patrons uh, would prefer us to just be honest and, and say what we want to say. It's very clear with some of the other podcasts that they are hamstrung slightly from what they can say. And if you've got a paymaster who you know has to think about a broader journal you know, or a website that they're attached to, then that's completely understandable. I, I myself have worked like that where I'm not free to just say whatever I want. So it's understandable, but as an independent podcast, we do we do get to we do get to say what we want. I just wanted to say, continues Dieter, that when you talked about the Spanish Grand Prix, I have to say I agreed with everything you said. I too enjoyed the Grand Prix, and while it wasn't the greatest Grand Prix in history, I thoroughly enjoyed it too. And I too was disappointed in what people were saying on social media about it being a boring race. So uh, I'll skip forward a little bit, but Dieter says, um when you watch a series like Drive to Survive, where they have lots of edited highlights, excuse me, lots of edited, edited highlights, you might get the impression that the races were always dramatic with lots of collisions. But the reality is there are many different types of race every season, and that's a good feature about F1. Some races have on-track drama, and some are all about strategies, and some are about luck and the weather. Anyway, keep doing what you're doing. Dieter from Adelaide. South Australia, yeah, the city we used to have a Grand Prix here many years ago, lol. Um, thank you for that um, as well. And I think you might be right. I think if you come into F1 watching a highlights package like Drive to Survive, then yeah, it's very easy to sit here and go, oh my gosh, that's not anything like that. Um, but, but, you know, those of us who've been watching it for 30, 40 years will we'll tell you that you know, in the 90s, we had a lot of races like this year's Spanish Grand Prix. However... This year has also given us some absolute stonking thrillers. I'm hard pushed to think of a season where we had so many dramatic high action races as we've had this season and they've come thick and fast as well. So I think it's been an incredible, an incredible season in many ways. Um, now, a series of emails along the same lines and they're from uh, Daniel and Andrew and Will. Well, let's see. Uh, Andrew says, uh, on the topic of being kind, I just wanted to reach out after listening to the Portugal Review and thank you for not shying away from the harder topics that came up and framing them with compassion and kindness. I appreciated it. Uh, I appreciate it with the We Races One discussions. And even more so uh, this week. And look, this was around the Max Verstappen comments. And they were very difficult comments for a lot of people to hear. And... I didn't shy away from talking about that, and um, and I don't, I don't think I should either. If the whole show was about it, I think people could rightly get upset. But the odd comment on a social issue, guys, 
relax. It's life, you know. We've all got these things on our mind. And I'm not going to sit here and say to the panel, oh, every single time a social issue pops up in F1, shh, be quiet, because some people are going to be offended. Uh, you know, <laughs> being offended by social issues is it's kind of weird. And if we were spending 20 minutes talking about it, then yeah, yeah, yeah I'll get you. Um, you. You can tune out, which is why, for example, when we had Liz, uh, Lindsay Orridge on the other day, I put it at the end of a, a show and I told you what it was going to be. So you can decide to listen to that or not listen to that. Uh, Will said, hi, um, I just donated to the tip jar. Thanks, Will. Really, honestly, makes a huge difference. The um, the Patreon support uh, really gives us that secure drumbeat in the background, um, enabling us to do things. When people drop tip jars in, part goes to Matt. He can do whiskey if he wants. Um, but we we tend to sort of put that aside and go, that is like a war chest. That is our war chest. When a mixer breaks, when a mic breaks, when we want to upgrade, those tip jar donations are just incredible. Like you have powered this shed, literally. Uh, com forward slash tip jar. Thank you, Will. Um, I The tipping jar was because I thought Spanners spoke excellently. Um, it would have been easy to shy away and say stick to talking about F1. And I think you really struck the right note and did the right thing. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Will. Um, that means a lot. And I know, and even now I know this bit is annoying some people. I, I know we lost listeners from me talking about those topics, all the ones that have been mentioned. Um, b- before the one early on in the season, I, I literally had to have a, we sat down and we have a, had a, a chat with my wife and said, you know, we know we're going to lose some people. And we did. I know we lost people. But maybe we lost, maybe we kept the right people. We lost people, maybe we kept the right people. People like Will. Um, but like I said, not going to go on about it. And the listener feedback is complete. And now you know that if you send me an email, there's a chance you'll get a shout out on the show in these listener feedback segments. I think we should talk more F1. We've got a great interview coming up for you right now. And we're joined live in the shed today by a creator that is bringing some of the some of the harder terminology down to earth for rookie F1 fans and maybe fans like me of Formula One who have just arrogantly swan their way through their F1 fandom, never really paying attention. Uh, The questions that you were always too afraid to ask. Well, now you can ask them because we have the creator of a new TikTok sensation channel with us and we are joined by Tony Cohen-Brown. Tony, welcome to The Shed. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Right. So you have been answering rookie questions and F1 new questions uh, for people on TikTok. Firstly, why TikTok? That's a great question. Um, I'm always curious about new mediums. I love discovering different channels and and I'm just curious. I work in tech, so TikTok has gotten a lot of clout um, recently and a lot of interest for a variety of reasons, mostly because they've said that they want to ban it. Um, so that got me curious about it. But I also just wrote a, a guide, which I initially thought was going to be a quick, you know, 10, 12 pager guide, which is absolutely impossible to do in <laughs> F1. Turned out to be a 54 pager um, for beginners. And and I started TikTok actually because 
I was getting questions from an increasing amount of friends who started to watch F1, mostly because they got interested with Drive to Survive, which has been absolutely fascinating. And I was just getting questions in the middle of races, text messages, voice memos. And I was just replying in every way, shape or form I could, was responding via text message or responding with a video. And then it just got me thinking that actually TikTok is a great medium to just quickly um, answer questions that are on people's mind. And it's worked very well, actually. Easier than the 52-pager guide. So you you did that blog. Um, well, a blog, yeah. it actually doesn't do it justice. Like you said, it's a guide. Um, but the, the, the fact with the TikToks is you can take one question and then with TikTok, it's a very short format medium. So you have to get to the core of the answer as quickly as possible. And I think that's what's captured people's imagination. Truly. And our attention span these days has just gotten ridiculous. I see it with myself that trying to watch a movie for two hours has become impossible. After the 30, 40 minute mark, I'm kind of itching to press pause. And that's because I started watching more TV shows than than movies. And so, yeah, it really does work beautifully. And it's helped me. I'm a long format type of person. So it's helped me be succinct. And I honestly think if you can't answer questions in 60 seconds, you probably don't understand it fully. So it's it's helped me realize where I've got gaps and where there's much more understanding to do, which has been fun. I like that you talked about attention span. As a 40-year-old, the example <laughs> I always put forward is uh, E.T., uh, a film I loved yeah. as a child. I tried to show that to my children and boy, that thing is slow. So I have, I have really kind of, I've come around to just accepting that I no longer have any attention span and your TikTok videos are probably exactly the same, uh, exactly the right length. But how challenging has it been? Firstly, hang on, what's the name of the yeah. TikTok channel? How do we get to it? It's just Tony Cowan Brown, I think. No, it's, sorry, I lie. It's T Cowan Brown. T Cowan Brown. Go. Okay, good. Someone um, else has Tony Cowan Brown, which I'm mad about. Yes. Someone else has been sitting <laughs> on mistapex.com for a long time as well. Uh, I they know, said, I feel you. I know. They said they'd give me the email, but they won't give me the website. So how challenging has it been, though? How tested have you been by these new questions that have come in? Very tested. I'm not going to lie. Um it's been fascinating, actually, the breadth and the depth of the questions. You've got the basic, um, actually, you've got what seemingly comes across as a basic question that I'm just like, oh, yeah, that, that's an easy one. Um, and then as I start putting it together or trying to formulate an answer, I realize actually it's way more complicated. Um, <laughs> yes. So a nice example was, you know, well, why does Red Bull have two teams? And I was like, you know, and the question was, why does Red Bull have two teams? And is AlphaTauri um, truly a, you know, a development team? And so what was interesting to see with that was, oh, wait a minute, actually, people have a misunderstanding of what the relationship between the different teams. And so mm-hmm. what got me thinking is people were asking, well, isn't that just the same with, you know, Ferrari and Alfa Romeo? It's like, oh no, that's a difference. There's the difference between a constructor team and a works team. And so basically by answering one question, you realize there's another question that needs to be answered before that and another one before that, um, which has been great. But I have been tested with some fantastic questions. And by the way, Matt Trumpets is still here. But Matt, isn't this, um, you know, one of those cases where like when you talk to a small child, they will ask questions that you you just didn't think about asking. And in a way, new F1 fans, you are the children of F1 fandom. So sometimes a kid asks something simple and you go, oh, you innocent chuck. Well, hang on a minute. Yeah, that is harder than I than I first thought. Yeah. Yeah. Once you realize you're going to have to explain the uh, second law of thermodynamics to your five-year-old to give them a proper answer, right. it does get a bit complicated. And I will say, like, I, I'm impressed because 
let's face it, Formula One is is between drivers on track, but it's also a battle between engineers. And it's been my observation that whenever engineers get involved, nothing is simple. Like the direction turn right, you'd think would be simple, but give it to engineers and you'll have 10 pages of bullet points as to how to actually just turn the car right. Uh, Right. So, Tony, as a new content creator um, in what can be actually quite a hostile space, F1 Twitter, I don't know if F1 TikTok is aggressive uh, in that same way. But just how have you how have you found it putting that content up? Your TikTok's gained reasonable traction considering how recent it is. Um, Have people been generally nice? Yeah, it's. It's interesting. I'll tell you an anecdote there, which is fascinating. I was uh, I was born in France, grew up in Brussels, so lived pretty close to the Spa-Francorchamps um, racetrack, and then moved to London. Um, so was moving sort of a little bit, in my opinion, further away from the initial um, relationship mm. that I had with F1, and yeah. then recently moved to SF. And that gap has just gone bigger and bigger, which is just fascinating. So I've started to look online more than I ever have previously for communities and people to engage with. And I I have to say, I found I was. Very nervous, for example, of joining the the subreddit, which has got 1.2 million fans in there. But mm. I've loved the space, interestingly. Yeah. Um, I found it very welcoming. With F- TikTok, what's interesting is the hostile people on TikTok have actually helped me grow my audience um, by being who they are, by pointing mm. out that I might have not answered the question fully or by saying that they don't like my accent. And I'm just like, bring it on, because the more you comment and the more you're angry about this, the more traction I get. Um, so there's a there's a way of looking at it that's beneficial, I think. Um, I love that. I don't, the way you speak doesn't precisely suit my exact needs from a channel. Therefore, I'm going to write something horrible. And people are and look this is the reality of the internet but it's also the reality of the globalized world in which we live in today is people see me i'm pale i'm redhead i'm clearly a brit whereas i was actually born in france grew up in france first i'm bilingual my first language was french (laughs) so when i say which is the one that got really people riled up on tiktok renault which is the only way i can say renault or maybe one of you needs to say it. are you saying are you trying to say hanau is that that's the one right, okay well that's how we say it i don't know the correct way to say it i'm sure matt says it like hanotas renault <laughs> renault there you go and it's just interesting that there is no correct way oh, to even listen so were you saying the team renault i so thought this you were saying fascinating what did you think i was saying i thought you were saying the venue hanau <laughs> you are the wow. second person to do that to me in a week when i okay. explain this story <laughs> sorry okay Um, Let's get to the crux of it. Uh, You have some examples of some of the questions that you've been um, that you've been given. And and some of them, I think uh, people will be expecting questions where, you know, well, I know the answer. I've been watching F1 forever. Some of them are quite surprising. We also asked our patron Slack group. Gosh, they're the best people. You can be like them and support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. They also have stepped up and they've put their pride aside and they've said, you know what? I don't know this thing. And I've been too afraid to ask. So we've got a nice mix. Why don't we start, Tony, with one of the, the questions that you've brought along? So one that I loved um, that I got recently was just very simply, you know, can you explain qualifications in F1? Which I oh, thought was a brilliant question. Yes. And, you know, it, it it sounds pretty basic. And then when you start to break it down of, yes, you know, it's shifted over the years. It's changed. Now you've got, you know... Your, your Friday sessions of free practices, and you've got Saturday, you have qualifications, but also just explaining what Q1, Q2, and Q3 is and explaining sort of the dropout of, you know, 
for the first 20 minutes, the, all the cars get together, they go on the track, they try and set the fastest record and the slowest mm. five cars get eliminated and they go back for Q2. And then what what I found interesting was with that was then the conversation about, well, which tires do you have to use and why do the people who've got into Q2 have to use those tires to kick off the race? And how is it that the top 10 can choose what tires they want? And it's like this question of, oh, well, you're allowing to level the playing field. Mm. It's amazing how often seemingly seasoned F1 fans miss that Q2 isn't about ultimate pace with the top teams. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, people are going, oh, look at that. Oh, Hamilton's nowhere. It's like, no, dude, that's his race tyre that he's got to start on. And uh, Matt, I know you're all about the tyres, but we come, up, we come up against this all the time, even within circles where we would think people would know the qualifying format in and out. It's actually reasonably yeah. complex. Well, exactly. it is. And the strategic implications of it are as well, uh, particularly, I think, for the teams that finish near the back of the uh, third qualifying session. It, it can actually sometimes they're better off if they don't make that session, which is an interesting thing. And I think, Tony, something that, that people um, miss these days as well is the, the extra tire that they're given in Q. Is that even a thing anymore? By the way, do they get an extra soft tire in Q3? I've forgotten. I think they do. Yeah, I but think now they that you've, do. I mean, you see, this is what's great. Now that you've asked, it, <laughs> yes, the, the you, your mind so. starts going. I don't yeah. know. Was that was that 2019 rules? Have I missed something? Yeah, um, but, but the thing <laughs> the thing that people sometimes miss, Matt, is that um, well, well, why hasn't signs gone out in Q3? Well, frankly, because he'd be better off saving a set of tires for the race, for example. Yeah, um, I mean, it's often the case that some of the teams will send out for their first qualifying run uh, in the final session, they'll send their runners out on used soft mm. tires because they don't have the extra save set that some of the faster teams who can just do a single run in the first qualifying session. For example, mm. that's that's something that I think a lot of people, that not just a lot of people, but broadcasters will miss that. Well, do you know and what they'll I, be like, oh, yeah. he's, he, finished, he finished 10th. We thought he was going to be faster. Well, he's running an old set of tires. I also wonder with the broadcasters whether they're doing the opposite of what Tony's doing, which is they don't want to keep repeating stuff as if they have an uneducated audience. In American mm. commentary, they are more than happy to, to spew the basics time and time again. But I think there's an assumed okay. thing with the British audience that, that you are already somewhat well-versed, and that can lead to people being kind of left behind. And so I, I, I really love that you're doing this, Tony. It's interesting you say that because I think there's also an understanding of just the audience is somewhat different in, in Europe versus America, where the barrier to entry is maybe a little higher in America um, as well, um, in that the race is at 5, 6 a.m. in the morning. So if you're going to yeah. sit down and watch the race at that, you know, that early on in the morning, you're, you're willing to be educated at the same time. Um, and, and Matt and, and Americans watching it at that time, they don't even have the benefit of, um, of whiskey at that time in the, mo <clears throat> in the morning. <clears throat> Oh, no, not at <laughs> all. Never. Why don't we get to some of our Slack patrons' uh, questions that they were too afraid to ask, Matt? Okay. Um, well, here's a good one. We actually fortunately had someone show up uh, who is a brand new fan. And uh, one of the questions they asked is, what's the real benefit of letting F2 drivers take part in the first practice? And doesn't that take away from the actual driver, the real driver's time to get used to the car and the track? Who asked that question, Matt? Uh, that would be F1 Rookie, a very eponymously named person. 
Love that question. Um, someone actually on TikTok asked me a similar question um, in that shouldn't we just abolish free practice sessions, which got me thinking about <laughs> the importance of le- letting F2 drivers, you know, take part in the races. I do think it's their one. The, actually, let me take a step back. The thing that I think I personally forget a lot is just how hard it must be to practice to be an F1 driver because you can't just jump into an F1 car and just practice. Like it's just not a thing like most sports where you can pick up a football or you can pick up a tennis racket. And so the allowing your F2 drivers to do that free practice sessions when they can, I just think it's a way of showcasing the talent. I think it's also a, a fascinating moment for F1 fans to see what's coming, like what yeah. to get us excited yeah. about the new talent that's out there. Um, so I don't know if that really completely answers your questions, but those two elements kind of so seem exciting. firstly, slightly offended as amateur sim racers, me and Matt are entirely convinced that our iRacing experience fully prepares us for a career in F1. 100%. Hey, I'm sure it does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, and also, closer. <laughs> you also, I guess we can't ignore the fact that a lot of teams simply take finances to put drivers in those seats um so it's a form of revenue for the drivers um the broader question that you got on tiktok is you know why not get rid of practice obviously this year we were robbed in Magello, i think of friday practice and then at imola it was scheduled to miss the friday and i I missed a lot you know and and people saying well it, it mixed stuff up matt but i missed out on my friday experience of tuning into jack jolian and jenny and listening mm-hmm. to things. And the thing is, if, if people don't want Friday practice, it's not compulsory. You don't have to watch Friday practice. I don't understand why people want to take it away from me. <laughs> well, see, I was interested to see what, what Tony actually thought about that because we've had quite the raging argument Yeah, because it seems like mm-hmm. there's some benefits um, to both sides there. So I was curious how you felt about it or what you concluded. I concluded that, I mean, we saw it and it was asked to me just after Istanbul. And I was just like, if you would have taken free practice sessions away for Istanbul, the race that we just had, I think qualifications would have been an absolute nightmare. And I am more focused on the sportsmanship than I am maybe on the entertainment piece of it. Um, And I just don't want this to turn into some, you know, fun entertainment. So I also, and similarly, I actually enjoy tuning in and watching all of the coverage that I can and and watching them learn. I think it's, it's very, it must be very humble to go out there during your free practice sessions and discover tracks sometimes for the first time and see people how they navigate that and see the growth um, throughout the free practice sessions and in qualifying um so i like it i similar to the spanners don't take it away yeah don't take it away from me the same as um winter testing people are, oh what's the point in winter testing the point is i have very little in my life i am a 40 year old <laughs> father of two why are you taking away the small points of joy in my life outside of getting gently sozzled once everybody's gone to sleep. Right, uh, Tony. T- Love this. Too much? Tony, uh, Tony, uh, give us your next one that you've, you've armed yourself with. Um, I'll tell you another one that came in that I loved that I've been trying to wrap my head around is um, the budget caps that are coming and what can the budget be actually spent on. And the reason I bring this one up is obviously it's a new thing that they're allocating um, or they're they're putting a cap on the budget that you can spend for, for the car development. But what got me interested is seeing that the budget cap doesn't include things like driver salaries, oh, which is, I yes. think is important, although yeah. that's another 
question that's happening, but also things that I didn't know, such as senior team officials, marketing and hospitality. It also ex- excludes, sorry, salary costs from staff members who are on paternity leave and maternity leave, which I kind of find pretty cool for a sport that's very uh, male um male oriented or male driven. Mm-hmm. So there's some fun quirky things that came out of that um about the salary cap. Well of course uh, the 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 I know what you're saying the spent the budget cap. Uh, we had yeah. um obviously uh, Matthew Carter talking about this and given that he run yeah. he ran Lotus F1 um as the CEO when I say team yeah. manager I I kept saying he the ex team manager of Lotus F1 he was like dude the team manager is like the guy who sorts out like the catering and stuff like that. Oh, sorry, sorry. So ex-CEO Matthew Carter yeah. instantly said to us, didn't he, Trump? He went, well, that budget cap, <laughs> it doesn't include this, this and this. And as a team boss, he instantly just saw that the budget cap wouldn't have given him any advantage over the top teams. Yeah, basically, it's got more holes in it than the tax code of the Cayman Islands, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm laughing as if I know finances. <laughs> Uh, right. Okay, good. Why don't we get another one of our Slack questions, Matt? All right. Um, well, here's a good one. Um, what happens if you blow through all of your tires? Are you just at a did not finish at that point? So I love this question. I'm not actually sure I have the right answer to this, but my my feeling is, um, I think as, as Spanner mentioned at one point, it's just like you've had a re- you've clearly had a crappy day. Yeah. Um, and you, I don't know if you want to be handed another set of tires after you've blown through all of them. But if you're a driver, you probably do. Um, I honestly don't know. I think you is, is do you call it quits? Do you get another tire? So I also do not know, Matt, which is fine. Do not I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer. I always assumed that if you run out of new tires and i think we're talking new tires you just have yeah. to go on to old tires and if you've had mm-hmm. that bad a weekend that all of your tires have been blown through like if that had happened to me i would just go home it would be it's like bottas when they were like what tires do you want to go on i would have just go oh, i'm just gonna go home Matt. which ones will which ones will take me out of the race most quickly please those are the ones i would like um okay so this isn't fair because ter- tires are something that I actually pay a lot of attention to. And I may no. include it only because the word tires was in the question without oh. reading the rest of okay. it first. So I apologize if I caught no, you I by like surprise it. there. It's got me um, thinking. Um, they, they give you an allotment of tires to start the week. And then at certain points in free practice uh, one and free practice two, they take certain tires away. And then when you get to the race, you have a certain number of tires left, some of which will be new tires that you've not raced on. One set will be the, the, if you're in the top qualifying session, will be the, your Q2 tires that you set your best time on. And then you've got whatever new tires and whatever used tires left to get through the rest of the race. So Spanners, annoyingly, was basically correct, is if you've gone through all the new tires, they just will put you on old tires. I mean, it happens a lot. I'm proper wise, especially when it comes to tires. What, Matt? What? In fact... (laughs) In fact, in in fact, here here is your bonus piece of trivia for the week. Listening. The enters that Lewis Hamilton switched onto at the Turkish Grand Prix, the ones that he did yeah. fifty laps on, they were used. They weren't no. even new. Yep. What oh. a legend! And uh, I don't the have guy. my corn fork with me, so I'm not going to be stabbing myself uh, with it whilst I do that bit of hamfosiness that they were actually <laughs> used. So yeah, I think yeah, it's an advantage to, to go onto new tires, especially with the dry tires. And if you if you blow through your new tire allocation, that's it. You're just burdened with some old tires. Uh, Tony, um, we we promised we'd only keep you 20 minutes or so. We've already gone over that. But allow me to take this massive liberty and assume that you won't 
you know, have a diva moment and be like, no, you said 20 minutes and ask you to give us uh, maybe one, two, three or four final uh, beginners questions that you've been asked. Of course, I'm happy to. <laughs> one that's maybe on, on top of everyone's mind right now is do you think Checo could replace Albon at uh, Red Bull? Which I, it's interesting because I get, I get a yeah. mix of very specific questions, yeah. uh, very technical. And then I get a mix of what do you think? Um, which is which is always, you know, oh, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Um, and my answer was on this one is, look, I, I'll i give you not my personal take, but I'll give you the wider take here, which I thought is is interesting, okay. which is um, which is mostly I think we seem to forget that it's not just about the driver or it's not just about the car. It's about it all meshing and coming together. So you've got to find the right team with the, <laughs> the right team, with the right strategy, with the right driver. And I think Checo's personality and driving will match. Yes, correct answer. Well done. Phew. We were we were on dodgy Did ground. I pass? Yeah, we were on dodgy See, ground. You're, you're more stressful than my TikTok audience. I feel like I've got I'm getting graded here. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna you, put a yellow card or a I red was card. Con- I was convinced that he set you up with that question because he is a massive Perez Fossey. No, no, no. I'm neutral. I'm neutral. I'm I'm, I'm really (laughs) Uh sure. (laughs) Even I can tell that's not true. (laughs) But again, a seemingly basic question led to actually other people saying, oh, I hadn't thought of teams, right team, right ethos, right driver, right strategy, right timing. Um, Does Checo want to be a number two? Does he care? Does he just want (gasps) to drive? All of these questions. Are you assuming that Perez would be a number two at Red Bull? Okay, that stabs through my heart. No, but for the sake I, of our new... I think they'll give each other uh, a run for the money and they'll both level the playing field. That's my take. I Honestly, it is Max Verstappen's team. Max Verstappen is fantastic and fantastically fast. Uh, Sergio Perez, uh, by his own admission, is not the out-and-out fastest driver on the grid. I fully expect that to be something like a 15-5 to five qualifying battle in in favor of uh, max 23 to zero yeah you can shut your (laughs) stupid face oh my god (sighs) i mean look i'm not i'm not disparaging paras at all but the 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 fact of the matter is he is not the fastest in qualifying ocon beat him i think stroll is tied with him or close but in the races yeah and we've talked about this in the races he has an ability to get more out of those tires than almost anyone else on Mm. the grid and that's how he puts the good results together. Okay, so you're putting it just down to time management. That's fine. I'm going to pretend I'm not triggered and move to Tony <laughs> and say, it is interesting you get those kind of questions because it opens up, especially with Perez, the difference between a pay driver, uh, a supported driver, a driver who brings cash, uh, a driver yeah. who brings media, who brings sponsorship, and a pure out-and-out talent driver. I yeah. mean, that's a whole... You, do you ever get to the end of your TikToks and go... Do you know what? I'm just going to... How, how long is a ma- uh, maximum TikTok? It's 15 seconds or max 60 seconds. Really? Very so rarely. Go, right. I'm going to be honest here. Very rarely do I answer anything in under 15 seconds. Um, someone <laughs> yeah. asked, what does DNF stand for? That's maybe the only one right. um, that I was able to answer in 15 seconds. But yeah, you get 60 seconds. Yeah. Oh, right. I didn't realize that. I don't know if you can do... Are they threaded? Can you do threaded ones or no? Nope. Oh, okay. No, no. It's, it's succinct at its best. Oh, okay, yeah. you can't do like link to part two or anything like that. Oh, you crazy! Can, it's a great, it's a great media strategy. It's great to mm. get people hooked. With, even with DNF, you can use that as a platform to then talk about. Um, well, DNF is uh, sorry, DNF did not finish, but then you can yep. go through the difference between DNF and DNS. 
and how that yeah. affects all the stats. And Matt has thrown up his arm in the air, which means he's going to point out something stupid I said, and I'm going to be sad. Well, no, I always thought DNF stood for drastically nasty finish. <laughs> no? Stupid. No, but hey, I like, I like that version better. Right. We're out of time, more or less, Tony. But um, have we left enough of a not negative impression with you for you to come back and join us, uh, not only for more stupid questions, but maybe on a panel sometime as well? <gasps> no question is stupid. Thank you. I was going to say that. And that's my rule on TikTok. There's no stupid questions. And there's only stupid people. Okay. Tony, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to ask you to explain that to like all of the YouTube commenters on our channel. I know. Because they are very sure that a lot of my questions are stupid. Like they are evangelically convinced. I spend my day asking questions. So I'm happy to spend some of my day answering questions. Um, I think the more we ask, especially with a sport like this, the more you ask questions, the more great answers you get and the more into, and actually I think truthfully, the more into the sport you get, the more you realise it's so layered. Matt, layered, getting into the depths of it, this is why we do Whose Fault Is It? That's why we don't do racing incidents. That's why yes. we assign blame, not just as a reflection of my appalling point scoring toxic marriage, but also so that we can drill down into the ethos of racing. I love it. Yeah, because it's not always a clear cut answer. And and I, I just I love that you're creating a space where mm. people can judgment free ask about things that they might feel would they would be gatekept gatekept about. In other places. Yes. In fact, we're making assumptions, Tony. You might turn around on some of those TikToks and go, you idiot. I'm not answering no. that, moron. Actually, uh, I've had to do the opposite. I've had to put my foot down and say, because what you get is you get the, I don't want to call them hardcore fans, but the Uber fans, you're like, that's an idiot question. Every true F1 fan knows the answer mm. to that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to delete your comment, yeah. block you, and I give space to the people who ask the questions because oh, I've got yeah. no time for that, quite so, frankly. The, the, oh, no true F1 fan. I hate that. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as a true F1 fan. And also the sport is evolving constantly like that's what i've discovered in the last two months is there's no way to stay on top of everything unless you're asking a dozen questions every hour um which is great keep us occupied in typical uh, miss apex fashion we prepped twice as much material as we needed for this show so that is at least one dedicated tony cowan brown drop in uh and we hope you will join us on a panel soon but please do tell our listeners where to where to go and find you and if um if you uh are short of attention, you can just go to the show notes and we will have lots of handy links in the show notes in the YouTube and on your app. I think you swipe right on Android and on Apple, you send a check to Apple or something and they will show you the show notes. But where can people find you? You can find me on TikTok at Brown, or just check out the website TonyCowanBrown.com, which I also have my 54-page guide if you're really bored one day. Um, that's how you find me. 54 pages is a, is a lot. Are they short pages or is it 54 extremely long not. pages? No, no, good. Of course not. But I, I got some nice thumbs up from the people at F1 that they kind of liked it. So I'm just like, oh, okay, that, I'll, I'll take that. Um, but yeah, take, it's, I guess you've got long form and then you've got the short version, 60 seconds. Um, so this should be something there for everyone. Tony, Tony Cohen-Brown, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. And that's all we've got for you for this show. But you can join us live at 8 p.m. next Sunday. That's 8 p.m. UK time, GMT. You can join us live on YouTube for our live stream. Search for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and you can watch and chat along 
with the live chat room. You can follow me at Spanners Ready, the show at Missed Apex F1, and Matt at MattPT55. If you want to follow any of our guests, then click on the links in the show notes right now. We'll see you next week. Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.